0: Previously on redeeming the time. I think if you read the John narrative, uh, it it skips the birth narrative of Jesus and has this whole weird sequence about uh, the Word and the Word was with God, you know, talking about the divinity of Jesus. The Word was God. And And it brings up Moses. It literally explicitly states that Moses brought one thing for the people and that Jesus was bringing in a new thing for the people. So now in two Gospels, we have these strong connections to the fact that Jesus is going to be this new Moses. And a lot of connections that he's the new Adam too, the new human. But specifically also that he's going to do a lot of the things that Moses did, but in a different way. He's not going to lead people out of slavery to people, you know, physical slavery, building things. He's going to lead people out of a spiritual slavery. Right. And it follows Moses' design patterns. So what's the first miracle that Jesus performs? Do you remember? In his early, He actually hasn't even started his ministry yet. He's at a party and he turns water he turns into water wine. wine yeah. What is the first plague... The Nile. The Nile turns turns from water to blood. So Moses turns the Nile into death, and Jesus turns water into life. Yeah, turns it into, it's a symbol about his life. But also, hey, that's another connection. You know, if you think of you're sitting down and reading the Gospels, and you read that account, you're saying, hey, I was already thinking about Moses because they brought him up. And now there's another connection because Jesus also transfigured water into something. This time on Redeeming the Time well, that aged well. So, if you are feeling incredibly left out, I'm about to explain to you why. It's because you weren't paying enough attention in the last episode, or you didn't listen at all, that's okay. I'll give a refresher. We are talking about John the Gospel, not John the Baptist, not John the Epistles. We're talking about the Gospel of John. In episode one, we started taking a look at what John has to say about the identity of Jesus. We're approaching this whole thing with this question, who is this guy? And in the last episode, we talked about how uh, Jesus is repeatedly compared to Moses. Specifically, he's brought about something new. Moses brought the law, but Jesus is bringing grace and truth. Or rather, he has brought grace and truth. And so that's what we focused on on the last episode. But we have a lot more to do with Moses. We ain't done yet. But for this episode, we're going to be looking closer at Moses specifically. So remember, in the last episode, I said there are two things that Moses is important for. He's important because he set the people free and because he brought the law. Now we looked at the law. Now we're going to back it up in Moses' story a little bit, because we're moving forward in Jesus' story, and understand something else about Moses. We're going to talk about the Exodus itself, leaving Egypt and everything it took. I'm going to start us off in Exodus chapter 7, starting in verse 3. Now this is God speaking in Exodus chapter 7, verse 3. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you so that i may lay my hand on egypt and bring my armies and my people the children of israel out of the land of egypt by great judgments and the egyptians shall know that i am the lord when i stretch out my hand on egypt and bring out the children of israel from among them so just a few highlights in this verse uh, or passage of 3 verses there's already kind of a distinct connection to John here, okay? And it's that word sign. All right? I'm not going to explain sign right now, but pay attention to that word. We're going to see it a few more times. And again, this is all about knowing who God is. He contained within his rescue plan states that the Egyptians are going to figure out just who the real God is. It's all about knowing God and his character. That's what the entire Bible is about actually. And And this is reinforced by what God says right in this little speech to Moses and Aaron. So, what actually happens? What are these great judgments? We kind of already should know the story. If you don't know this story, I would be shocked. This is The Ten Plagues. If you have seen The Prince of Egypt, which is a phenomenal movie, great soundtrack, okay? Then you know a little bit about these plagues already. That's one of the musical numbers in there called The Plagues. Dun, dun, dun... Yeah, that's the name of it, is the plagues. And it's epic. There are ten of these plagues. I'm going to be grouping them up, and you're not going to know why, but I'm grouping them into five different groups. And that will make sense later. So these great judgments on the people of Egypt are these. All right, The first one, which is in a group all on its own. This is group one, or we'll call it group A. This is group A, which only has one plague in it. The Nile is turned into blood. So, all of these ten plagues, I should mention, appear to be, basically, an attack on an Egyptian deity. So, this is one of them, of course. I believe this is an attack on Isis, who is like the mother of life, or is Iris? I think it's Iris. I think I'm screwing that up. Isis is a terrorist organization. Iris is the Egyptian goddess of life. And this is an attack on her. She's supposed to be... the the giver of the Nile. And now the Nile is turned into blood. What did Iris turn on the Egyptians? So this is just one of those. I'm not going to go into that. This isn't incredibly crucial into the story, but pay attention to how God turns the Egyptian source of life into the Egyptian source of death. There's only one reason you ever see blood. It's because something is either injured and or dying and or dead. So the source of life that was water is now blood, the source of death, and the sign of death. And this is how we're starting. This is going to be fun. Not for the Egyptians. Then, we move into the second group. Alright, this has a bunch in it. This is group B. Frogs, infestation of frogs, and infestation of maggots, infestation of flies. Now, picture the sickness and disease. Then, after those three plagues, then the livestock get sick and die, and then the humans get boiled, so the humans get sick too. So, five plagues in a row that are all like the traditional use of the word plague uh, in our modern culture, which is sickness. So that's group B. Group B is all sickness. Then we get to group C. This is hail and locusts, uh, two plagues that destroy crops, so food. So now we've had water has been turned into death. Death has literally just flown in and infested everything. Then we have death of the crops, which now means death of the people who are starving. Then we get to group D, which is The Plague of Darkness. It says that darkness just fell over Egypt. Uh, Some translations do it a little differently. I think mine says, It was so thick you could cut it with a knife. It's a very vivid description. And then the final plague is on its own as well. It's in group E. This is the Passover, like the tradition of the Passover festival and celebration in Jewish culture. The Passover is the event in which a death angel came into Egypt and took the firstborn son of all the livestock, all the animals, and of all the people, except the people who had made a sacrifice to God and painted the doorposts with blood of the land that they had sacrificed. They had all sorts of rules and regulations for it, but that's the point. The Israelites made a sacrifice that, basically paid their way through the tenth plague which was the death of the firstborn son and they were told to celebrate this event because this was the final uh the final nail in the coffin for pharaoh this meant that the egyptians would finally let the israelites go and they were told to celebrate this last plague almost like god knew that this passover event was going to mean a lot in the future huh oh i'm sure someone will get into that <laughs> Definitely not me in, like, two minutes. The obvious question now is, why are we talking about these plagues? And why did I group them up in a weird way like that? Well, in the next section, we're going to return to our story in John. And believe me, this is going to be very fun, very interesting. This is the most mind-blowing thing I've learned about the Bible in, like, a full, I don't know, two weeks? (laughs) It's incredible. You're going to like it. Stay tuned. Okay. So John has an interesting pattern of sevens. I might have mentioned this in the last episode. I don't think I did. But John is built around sevens. Jesus says I am 7 times. He says I am, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, such as I am the way, the truth and the life or I am the bread of heaven. He says seven of those I am followed by something else statements as well as just the regular 7-I-M period. And then he also builds the book around seven miracles, or as he calls them in this book, signs. Ah, yes, didn't we just hear that word somewhere else? Oh, yeah. Back in Egypt, in Exodus, God said that what he was going to do to Egypt would be a sign unto Egypt of what he is. Well, Jesus performed seven signs, not ten, and we're going to walk through them right here, right now. Conveniently, in five groups, lettered A through E. Huh. Interesting. So, what is this first sign that Jesus does, and how does it tie in to the Nile? Well, you guys heard it in the introduction. Jesus' first sign in the book of, uh, in the book of Moses. Jesus' first sign in the book of John. He's at a party, and he turns water into wine. Now, let's just think about this for a second. How does that tie in to our A group in Exodus? Our A group also only had one sign in it, one plague, and it was turning the water of the Nile into blood. The water into wine is really interesting. There's a few different takes on it, but one take that I've heard before is that it's showing how Jesus is the source of life. And a lot of them really kind of sound like that or rhyme with that in one way or another. But this is about Jesus making a statement about how he is the source of life. And notice how that is conveniently contrasted against Moses' first plague there, turning the Nile into blood. He turned life into death. And Jesus turned life into, like, life with flavor. I don't know how else to describe it. It's got more to it. It's got more nutrients. The same life-giving power, but plus more. That's what water into wine is about. Now contrast that against water into death. All right, now hold that thought, because we're going to carry it through a few more times. Group B. Group B, just like how Group B in Egypt was about sickness. Well, you see, there are two signs that jesus performs in group b the nobleman's son is healed this is a a roman soldier of relatively high authority he rides out to jesus at the end of chapter four and he requests of jesus that he heals his son and jesus doesn't go with him but he says go back your son is healed and surely enough his son was healed at the exact time that jesus said it would happen and then right after that account there's a paralyzed man sitting at the pool or a pool in Jerusalem and Jesus goes up and tells him to pick up his mat and walk away. The dude's paralyzed, but he just gets up and walks away. He's fine now. So that's interesting. So sickness, well, instead of causing sickness, Jesus came and healed the sick back to back, just like the back to back plagues. Hmm. Then we get to group C. All right, remember how in group C in Exodus, we had locusts and hail, which targeted the crops. So now there's just not a lot of food in Egypt because they got wombo-comboed by locusts and hail. So what does Jesus do next? Well, he feeds the 5,000. So he takes the plague that eliminates food from the people, and he takes little food and multiplies it like A bajillion times. You're starting to notice this pattern is starting to get some weight, isn't it? Don't you think? Let's keep going. Group D. Jesus heals the blind man. Now, there's no way this could tie to anything in Egypt. Oh, wait a minute. The ninth plague. Darkness. Yahweh causes darkness to fall on Egypt. But then Jesus, as his group D miracle. And these are all in order, by the way. In order of their occurrence in John. One of the last miracles that Jesus does is he heals a blind man. Come on, that lines up perfectly with one of the last plagues. So then group E, how does he line up with the Passover? Well, he lines up with two miracles for the Passover. He raises Lazarus, and then he sacrifices himself, and then raises again. So the Passover, which was all about death, suddenly once again came about with life. And you want to know what's even crazier? Was Jesus did this during Passover coincidence. Mm, let's talk about it. All right, so in those last two sections, we talked about the pattern itself. Now we need to kind of break it down. So obviously, even though those are in order, there's seven miracles of Jesus or seven signs of Jesus, 10 plagues coming from Moses and slash or Yahweh, depending on how you look at it, in Egypt in the book of Exodus. So I grouped those on my own. This is is a study that I've done that I haven't seen anywhere else. I've looked, I've looked all over in whatever resources I can find, and nobody is talking about this. I discovered this while I was watching. Guess what? The Bible Project, uh, their episode on the Book of John. While I was preparing for this series, and I noticed that the seven the seven signs that they brought my attention to lined up because I was thinking about Moses. This was the perspective that I was looking at. I was originally just going to talk about how John is the new or Jesus is the new Moses as displayed by the book of John. Now there's tons of stuff talking about how Matthew displays Jesus this way, but nothing really in John. Despite the fact that Moses appears a lot in John, and nothing, and I mean nothing, nothing is talking about how the plagues line up with Jesus's miracles. So if this is all coming from me, then we need to actually provide some support for this so let's break it down let's start with some concerns what are some things that might just blow a hole in this entire uh idea of binding the signs of jesus to the plagues well concern number one is actually pretty obvious If you, you know, studied the book of John pretty hardcore, you would have noticed there's a miracle missing. Jesus walks on water. After he feeds the 5,000, he kind of books it from the crowd, and then he walks on water. That doesn't really equate to anything in the plagues. And you'll notice that I completely omitted it. In fact, the Bible Project also uh, completely omitted it from their video and including it as one of the signs. And I thought that was really interesting. There was a comment in there that brought my attention to this. I hadn't noticed there was a miracle they were missing. There's a comment on that video that was like, hey, I get it, there's like seven signs, but why do you include Jesus's death and resurrection as the seventh sign? It should be walking on water. It's just me paraphrasing. That's not exactly what they said. They were really questioning, not in like a... I made that sound very attacking. That's not what it was. They were just really curious as to why they would omit walking on water as the as a as a sign. And I had to really study into that. And my approach to this is that it isn't a sign. I after studying it, I agree with the Bible project on this one. It's not a sign because he only does it in front of the disciples. All of the other miracles he does are very public. But not walking on water. That's only in front of the disciples. There are some people who say that the cleansing of the temple is a sign. That doesn't seem right to me because at least in my English translation of the Bible, which is NKJV, it's a word translation. I didn't look this up in Greek. But he says that when Jesus healed, I believe, the nobleman's son, I think that's the second one, it says this is the second sign after it says the first sign, the first sign is water into wine. And the temple thing happens in the middle of it. So it'd be weird if the second sign was actually the temple because he specifically says the second sign is the nobleman. So that doesn't really seem to line up. But I would argue that the reason that I've omitted walking on water is because it is a miracle, not a sign. Know the distinction. Another concern is that the numbers don't really line up. So it's hard to say it's intentional when there's 10 plagues and... John records seven miracles. Why not make them line up? If John is going to mess with the timeline, the chronology, which he already does, we know that he's already messed with this. It has a completely different timeline than the other gospels. So if he's going to mess with it, why would he not be including some other miracles of Jesus to line up better with the plagues? Then we wouldn't have to group them funnily and it would just, it would work better. So maybe it wasn't intentional because they the numbers just don't line up. So, to address those concerns, let's talk about this. Walking on water, not a sign. Then where does it fit? Well, we have a problem here. We have this bonus miracle that doesn't really seem to fit. We don't really include it with the group of other signs where do we fit? I mean, it doesn't fit in the Exodus story because there's no account of in the middle of the plagues. Moses just going out and walking on water. In fact, there's no water miracles in the middle of the plague are the plagues. Although there is that bonus one, you know, we've got the bonus miracle. Then there's that kind of like bonus plague, which is when the Egyptians were chasing down the Israelites and they walked through the Red Sea on dry land and then it caved in and took out all the egyptians so like i guess the parting of the red sea that kind of sounds a little bit like yeah i 100 percent believe this there's a bonus miracle there's a bonus sign tacked on the end of the plagues and there's this bonus miracle kicking around in john also water-related, and instead of needing to part the water, Jesus can just break the laws of physics and just walk right on top of it, like a boss. That's totally tied to the Red Sea crossing. How could it not be? In fact, it fits into another pattern in the Bible as a whole of passing through chaotic waters. The Red Sea and Jesus crossing um, through the storm both fit into that design pattern, which I'm sure John was aware of. And as far as the numbers not lining up, that's because there are other design patterns going on. So John is fitting his narrative of sevens. He doesn't want to break his seven, so he includes his seven miracles. The plagues, the ten, that's also relating to a whole other thing. They're attacking and whatnot. That's two entirely different studies as to why John is using sevens and why there's ten plagues and ten commandments and whatnot. That's why the numbers don't line up, is because even though they're connected, they're still operating onto two different things at the same time. So I would say there's a fairly good argument here that John is intentionally structuring the miracles that Jesus does in his book to mirror and really contrast against the plagues so, if this design pattern is in the book, what's the point? Why would there just be a random pattern? It's got to be trying to make a claim. And the answer is, it is. It's making a claim without ever explicitly making that claim. Now, remember our claim from the last episode. We're looking at John 1.17 that says, The law came from Moses, but grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. It's, tr- it's making a contrast. It's saying, yeah, Moses, but jesus there's something more coming from jesus jesus is the new moses and these signs are backing up that claim because not only is he showing things that require just as much power as it would have taken to do uh, the crazy things in egypt but it has a different target and instead of being judgment and destruction it's what the law is judgment and destruction the law says you are not obeying What happens when you don't obey? It seems like half the rules in Exodus and Leviticus and whatnot all end in somebody getting stoned if it breaks. The law is judgment and destruction, and the plagues were judgment and destruction, but Jesus is grace and truth, and he's also the life. We'll be talking about that in another episode, but for now, just keep that in mind. Jesus is the life, and these miracles that contrast against the plagues of Egypt are making that very same claim. Look at it again. Denial turns into blood, but then Jesus turns water into wine. So instead of from life to death, it's life to life beyond. Instead of causing sickness, he's healing sickness. Instead of destroying crops, he's bringing life about. He's multiplying what's little into what is much. Instead of causing darkness to fall on the evil, he's bringing light into the world, he's healing the blind, literally and spiritually, and the Passover, where instead of requiring that everybody offers a sacrifice to him, he offers himself as a sacrifice for everybody. Huh. Yeah, that was intentional silence in my podcast, I don't do that a lot. Jesus is the new Moses, who goes against the Exodus narrative, which is death and suffering, and destruction, and brings about life. And the law, which was originally good, All right, But if you look at all of Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees, and how the Pharisees are portrayed in the book of John, you'll notice they almost worship the law instead of the God behind the law. So the law doesn't lead to salvation. The law is part of this death, and suffering, and destruction, because humans aren't perfect. And so, that's all that the law comes from. The law comes from the same place that the plagues did. In its perfect state, the law is perfect, but once it meets with humanity, all it causes is death and destruction and judgment. Righteous judgment, but judgment nonetheless, which means destruction. Jesus is making a new way. He is the true way to life, is what I have written down in my notes, which is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Again, we're going to talk about that again later. But this is what Jesus is doing, and this is what this design pattern is saying. He is the new Moses, the way, the truth, and most importantly to our plagues narrative here, the life. And I would say that John is almost offering this question through the way he writes his gospel. If Moses was so worth following, how much more worth following is Jesus? Hmm. And... This makes it all the more shocking when we're talking about how people were following Moses instead of following Jesus, when they really should have been following Jesus all along. That in John chapter 1, it says that he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. They totally should have. He's the new Moses. He's the Moses that brings a life instead of death. And so, he should have been followed, and yet he wasn't. And we're going to see more of this in the continuing episodes. But here's the lesson for today. If you're looking at this design pattern, what do you take away from it? Don't put away what the Pharisees missed. Jesus is the source of life instead of the destruction, the inevitable righteous judgment of the law. But Jesus is the life. That is all for this episode, but we'll be coming back to more themes like this. You see, Moses isn't the only ancestor to be making uh, frequent appearances in the book of John, so in the next episode we're going to talk about how the ancestors as a whole, specifically Abraham, Jacob, and Moses again, all come into play when people are interacting with Jesus. So stay tuned because that's going to be a fun study too. In the meantime, uh, prove me wrong. Go into the Bible and tell me That this theory that I'm coming up with here, that the signs of Jesus are indeed mirroring the plagues. Don't just take my word for it. Look, see if I'm right, see if I'm wrong, I might be missing something. This is new and I can't find anyone else who's talking about this, so let's actually start talking about it and let's find out if it's legit, okay? Until next time, when we talk about the ancestors.